Welcome to the podcast, Happy and Single. And on today's episode, I have a friend of mine joining me, Emma Millet, who also is a life coach. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have her. Once again, you know, you could find me on Instagram, the It's Possible Guy. And you can find our episode Instagram at happy and single. But like I said, today I have the privilege to sit down with Emma Millet and have really what I call her like happiness conversations. And then just kind of see wherever it goes from there. But so I'm just going to, first of all, I'm going to let Emma tell you guys a little bit about her and her journey and, you know, just share a little bit about whatever comes up for you, Emma. What do you want to share? Awesome. I'm Emma, first of all. Um, I am 25 and I am in Mesa, Arizona. I grew up here. Um, I have a big family all around here. I spend a lot of time with them. Um, and I spend a lot of time doing events, planning events for myself or for other business owners. Um, I do as much public speaking as I can. And then, of course, I meet with my clients one on one. Um, and then when I have time uh, somewhere in there, I managed to sneak in some music classes that I teach a few times a week. So I stay pretty busy. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here. No, speaking of events, Emma, you have, you have one coming up here at the end of this month. So tell everyone a little bit about that. So the people are. So yeah, this, um, project is something that has been, um, on my mind and in my heart for a really long time for a few years and then of course covid came and kind of changed everything and so i've been waiting a couple years to do this event but i um a couple months ago just felt like it was the time i came across a speaker that i um really really loved and i didn't he didn't get to finish his presentation because he ran out of time and i remember thinking i wish that i could I want to hear more. Like I could listen to him all day. And I was like, how can I, how can I make that happen? Like, how can I, how can I find him? And and how can I like hear everything that he has to say? And I, my, as an entrepreneur and as an event person, my literal first instinct was to be like, well, I'll just create a big giant event. (laughs) (laughs) Come and speak at it. And that's what I did. So it it had been something I'd been thinking about for a long time. And that's just kind of how I knew it was time. And I just felt like, yeah, now, now is the time we can do it in person. So it's a big young adult conference. Um, we're marketing to ages 18 to 31, um, members of the church. And we have around 18 ish presenters coming to speak and give different classes on, um, like LGBTQ members of the church and, and the intersection between LDS and LGBTQ. And we have, um, some experts coming to talk about sexuality and the law of chastity and how to navigate honoring both of those things. And we have um, coming people coming to speak about infertility and, you know, marriage and heavenly parents and things like that. that. So it's, it's all, all young adults, married and single. Um, and it's actually a two day event. And the first day is just an evening and it's specifically for married couples or married members because I don't, they're in the same demographic, but they don't get the same attention. They don't get the same space to talk about what's relevant to them. So I wanted to make sure to create that for them as well. So the first night is for married members to come and, you know, take a couple of marriage classes and whatever. And then the next day is for all of 
anyone who wants to come really. So it's August 27th and 28th at the um, Tempe Institute of Religion, which is the Institute on ASU campus. And how, and how can people find out more about that? So we have an Instagram um, at young adult events. Um, if they follow that, we're posting lots of information there. Um, there's a Facebook event floating out in the universe somewhere. Um, the theme of the conference is, and the Lord called his people Zion. So if you search that in your Facebook as an event, it should come up. Um, and we will have a website soon. We're working on that. So I'll get that link out there eventually, but we'll post that link on the Instagram when it's ready. Well, and, and I'm just going to pause Emma for a moment and just, you know, for anyone listening that doesn't. So Emma and I do happen to be of the same faith. And so if, if you're listening to some of the things that she shared and it doesn't make sense, then that, that's, <laughs> that, that's okay. You're welcome, to, you're welcome to message me on Instagram and ask me questions or welcome to message Emma on Instagram and ask, and ask her questions as well. Um, you know, I, I always want everybody to feel super welcome on this, on this podcast, regardless of faith, regardless of anything. You know, we're all, we're yeah. all in this together and, you know, we all, yeah, so I just wanted to, if, if any of those words didn't make sense, like I said, feel free to reach out. We're, we're happy to explain. But yeah. Emma, that is so cool. Like I know so many people, myself included, that think about plenty of really cool things to do. And I look at it as, you know, God kind of gives us orders. He gives us directives and we're like, you know, I'll get back to you on that. And yeah. what I'm hearing you do is like, you know, God says, hey, do this now. And you're like, done. I mean, it took me six months to even start this podcast because, you know, Heavenly Father is like, start this podcast. And I'm like, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't do podcast. I don't, I rarely listen to podcast. I'm not doing a podcast. Six months later, I started a podcast. That's funny. Yeah. But there's something about that. Like there's something about that fire that happens in each of us when we just act. You know, throughout yeah. scripture, it talks about like having faith, but faith without works is dead. That faith, that, that works is action. And it's not these massive actions that people think they have to take. Like I listened to something yesterday in an inspirational conference from our church. And it said, you know, like we can't do everything alone. And we were, we were kind of half joking about how Emma and I, are not the best at social media, you know, to get yeah. my, to get my podcast, the day they're, the day they go out, you pretty much have to subscribe. If you're waiting to see them on social media, you're going to think I haven't, po- haven't done a podcast in probably eight weeks or so. They're all there, or at least most of them. <laughs> yeah. are there. But we, we can't, we can't do everything alone. And what most people don't realize is that if we just take the first step, the next steps will appear. The, mm-hmm. the next steps always appear. It's like you, you take the one, you know, the one step that you can see right in front of you. You don't see any other steps. You know, it's, it's almost like, it's like one of those old school video games on like Super Mario or something where you jump on one and then all of a sudden another appears and another appears and another appears and another appears. <laughs> That's how God works. Like, yeah. And when we understand that and when we're willing to act, like things work out so much better. But we do, we get, we get those teams around us. Like you mentioned, you know, you just, you just reached out to this giant committee that basically said, hey, we'd love, we'd love to help you. 
well, what if there's giant committees around each of us in every area of our life that we just have to take that first step? But so many times we see that first step we're like, no, no podcast, no chance, no way. Yeah, oh, I've happening. done that. Yeah. Have you done that too? Please, please oh. tell me that so I feel a little bit better about myself. More often, I think that's really what I end up doing. This, I mean, again, I had two years to like, two years plus to like, emotionally prepare mentally prepared to like take this step so like when all the things fell into place for this particular event I I didn't need the six months or whatever because I had just taken two years getting ready for it but like I it it takes me a while to like follow through on all these things that you're talking about I I like the stars to be aligned I like to know that they're aligned so every once in a while I I get really, really invested in one. And then that's when I'm like, I just have to make it happen now. So like every once in a while, there will be like a long-term instruction that I'll get from God or whoever. And I get frustrated. So I'm like, but now, why can't, why can't I do it now? Like, tell me what to do right now. So I, I depends on what's going on, but like, I definitely fall on both sides of that line sometimes. And I, I think more often I'm, it's taking me a while to, follow through with whatever instruction I feel like I've received. Well, I, I love how you said that because it makes me feel a little bit nor- more normal. And I, also, and I also find it super interesting that it's like, why is that normal? Like, why is it normal for all of us? We get these really cool ideas and we're like, I can't do that. We don't even try. Yeah. Like, we don't even take that first step. Maybe we think like the journey is going to be like super, super hard. And if we take the first step, then we're already invested. So it's like, if I don't take the first step, then I have to take the next step. And it's like, yeah, you're going to have to take those steps eventually. If you yeah. want to get that thing that you want, why not take it now? Yeah. What I found with my, a lot of my clients and myself, also is that I think that sometimes um our fears of failure are actually fears of success in disguise I think a lot of times we actually fear success more than we fear failure and that that's the reason that we procrastinate especially something that we really feel like God is telling us to do because we know that if God is giving us instruction he's like if God says I really need you to do this project or whatever and as long as I'm including him in that process it's not going to fail anyway you know it's almost I mean everybody has their agency but like I don't know I think I think that often success is more intimidating than failure um and I think that that's I don't know I I think that that's what gets in the way a lot of the time even though it might seem like or feel like or look like a fear of failure and I also think for the record that that's why a lot of people um stay single (laughs) not everybody but I I think some people have that same fear when it comes to relationships so I've I've got thoughts on both of those like first of all the fear of so the fear of success that's it's interesting because for a long time I would use the quote I'm 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 guessing you know it by Marianne Williamson It says our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us, et cetera. Like most people know that quote. 
Well, it's interesting. I actually look at it a little bit differently now. You know, and this kind of goes into your and mine faith, but I truly believe that the best time for an adversary to crush anybody is when they're little. Like when, when that first idea comes, like, you know, you and I both believe we believe in a God and we believe in a devil. Like we believe in an actual devil with, you know, tons of little, tons of little helper devils per se. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. It's not wrong. Well, I believe that if they can get us right when we start, if they can crush yeah. us, it's so much easier to do that. So what they do is they, you know, they, they, we get these fearful thoughts. But what happens, and I love how you said it, like you know, we get this inspiration from God. And then almost immediately, like we have this opposition. Almost immediately, you could... I mean, anything that you're thinking of doing, we have this opposition immediately. Somebody that tries to take us down a peg, tries to take us down. And the way I look at that, like one time I was playing the guitar and I, you know, I'd had this experience at ice hockey where this kid slashed me, hit me with his, wooden, his really hard hockey stick in, the, in my wrist. And I was super mad. But it was like five hours later, I was sitting there playing the guitar and, I'm, and all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I should have done more to that kid. I should have, I, I hit him, but I, check, I, check, I checked him good. But I should have done I more. You wish you'd checked him twice? <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but it's interesting because that thought is not going to come from God. It's not going to come from the inner voice. In the moment that I'm sitting there playing the guitar, working on something. Mm-hmm. So, so the way I truly see that is, you know, the adversary or crazy leprechaun thinking also, as I call it, right when we're in the moment of doing the thing that we need to do, it shows up and it's like, hey, you can't do that. And it's like, we can play around with the voice, but we don't have to. It's like, when it pops up, most people are like, why is that here? Why am I thinking that? we're thinking that because there was opposition in the world and we're thinking that because there really is, at least in my understanding, there really is a devil that tries to destroy our lives. But if I simply say, Oh, cool. Well, there's that thought that I'm not enough or I should have beat this kid up or whatever. Cause that's, cause that's honestly my thing is to beat people. (laughs) Right. And so (laughs) yeah, that seems on brand for you. (laughs) Yeah. Hardcore tough guy. Like, but those thoughts come in our head. And if we simply just go, oh, you know, some of the popular thoughts for people are, I'm not enough. I'm ugly. I'm fat. Well, if I simply realize, oh, cool, there's that thought that I'm fat. There's that thought that I'm ugly. What was I in the pro- process of doing that God had inspired me to do that the adversary is trying to distract me from? Like we had a really cool, uh, we had a cool meeting with Elaine Dalton. She's a, you know, for those not members of our faith, she happens to be, she was really quote unquote high up in the church for a while. Um, But she shared something interesting, how the adversary seeks to either disqualify us or I can't remember the word she used, but it's like, you know, basically disqualify us or basically get us to, you know, not believe in ourselves. And it's so true. Oh, distract. That was it. Distract and disqualify thinking we're not enough, thinking we can't do stuff. 
Well, the more we fill our thoughts with things of faith, it's like we can have, we can focus on thoughts of faith. Like uh, another man in our church says, Didier Uktar says, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Well, yeah. All of our doubts are simply passing thoughts that are passing through our head that if we just let them pass through and don't worry about why we're having them, we're having them because we're spiritual beings having a human experience. That's all. And when we realize that, and when we simply can notice really quickly, like, cause everybody faces this. Like, have you been watching the Olympics at all? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I love some of the stories in the Olympics. I some know. of the stories of these people that didn't think they could do stuff and they just kept going anyways. It's like, yeah. yeah. Like, so Van Gogh says, you know, when, whenever you hear that voice say that you can't paint, paint and that voice will be silenced. It's kind of like the voice has a really hard time telling Emma, Emma, you cannot create this conference. She's like, well, look, like I'm actually already pretty much created it. Like it's happening. (laughs) These are the people. I mean, like this is all this stuff happening. Right. But you created it. Yeah. Because you just stopped worrying about the voice. It's like yeah, it's well, I think that, that it got that. something <laughs> was more important. <laughs> Say I that think again. That it just, like something was more important than that. Like it just it it gets to a point where it's like I can have all these fears or you know all these doubts, but there's like a bigger, there's a higher purpose, and that becomes more important than any of the things that I'm afraid of, and so it it gets in that moment, in those moments, it's, it's really easy for me to not really pay attention to the fears because I got good at prioritizing them. You know what I mean? Like not always, sometimes, sometimes I, my fear, in fact, probably most of the time my fear outranks really where it should be. But in this case and in similar projects that I've taken on like this, it's, it just comes down to like, I just know that there's something more important and I know that it's more important than me. It's more important than my fears. It's more important than any like individual need. It's just, you know, it's, um, a more mass, it's going to have a more massive impact than my fears, you know? And so it just, I don't know, it just becomes more important and you just prioritize and move forward. I love what you just said about you prioritize and move forward because I think sometimes we can almost, even, even if the voice is in our head, mm-hmm. we can still do stuff. It's like one of the things, so I'm known as the it's possible guy. And one of the things is if you just start doing something for 20 minutes a day, you will be amazed at what you're able to achieve because not only are you getting better at your skill, the better you get at your skill, the more you want to do it. And the more you want to do it, the better you get at your skill. Mm-hmm. So many people, especially like for most of my life, I was stuck in the muck. Like in the biggest muck for me was, I'm not married. I can't be happy. Right. That, was, that really was. And so... I had to pull myself out of that muck. And so one of the things I do each day is I have this list of I am statements that I read 
And then I also have these paragraphs that I read of where my, I want my life to be as if it already happened a year from now. That's like super descriptive. Yeah. And, and that would be my way, quote unquote, of prioritizing. Well, the interesting thing that happens is when something's memorized, or even the more it becomes memorized, it literally becomes a part of us. I mean, if you're not sitting there reading something and it's going through your head, then it's become a part of you. And we have so many other things that become a part of us that are so unimportant. I mean, think of how many song lyrics we know that are super unimportant that are quote unquote a part of us now. Yeah. Which makes you kind of think even more about, you know, some of the things we, you know, listen to, watch, et cetera. And, but there's that power. We are our creator. We are the, I believe we are the God of our own world. And one of those statements I say is, I am the God of my own world. By my word is my world created. And you know what happens, Emma? As I start doing those things, like as I start reading the statement, so the new one I created, I've done this for quite a few years, but the brand new one I created was last May, back in May. Go figure, all of the things start happening. <laughs> it's like, you can only read it so long before you're like, okay, I want Happy and Single to become a worldwide brand and become the number one podcast. Well, if I want it to become a worldwide brand that people wear, shouldn't I design a shirt? Like, wouldn't that be obvious? And so after a while of reading this, it's like, oh, duh. Like one of my mentors, Michael Neal, he calls them Homer Simpson moments. It's like, you don't, you know, it's like, that's how insights occur. Yeah. And so they occur like that as we're, but as we're crafting and creating our life, the adventure that we want to live in, like, then we just see that and we're like, oh, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. But I'm not doing that. And I do want to do that. And so I love what you say there about prioritizing because after a while, things start to fall out of our lives that seemed relevant at the time. If you want to get good at anything, you have to show up and do it. I don't know of anyone that just shows up and plays the piano or plays the guitar, does anything great in the world for that matter, unless they show up and do it. Yeah, it's true. And I think that like, there's something, I mean, that's why the fake it till you make it thing works so well sometimes because fake it till you make it gets you to show up. You know, it gets you, which it can be a really intimidating, that first step I think sometimes can be the most intimidating part of the process is to just show up. But I think that's why the like fake it till you make thing works sometimes because it gets you to take that first step and then, you know, and you move forward from there. Well, and I, and I love what you said there. Like I, I'd, I'd add one thing though. We don't have to fake it. Faking it actually takes so much. I, I've done it. Like, yeah, I, I, agree. I, came, I came through the school of Tony Robbins and I had energy off the charts and I was like this and yeah. I was always on fire. You know what that yeah. did? It scared a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was just super scary. And I, and I acted like everything was all together. But when we fake it till we make it, like it, the way you, to stack a bunch of smooth rocks, and, and this could be totally wrong, but go with it, is uh, it's a lot harder than like, because the rocks that connect, they're the rocks that have m- like informity, maladies, informities, I don't know. They're, they're misshaped rocks. Like they're, so we connect with other people more on their, on, on their struggles, on their frustrations. Like 
the coaches yeah. that go in and try to pretend they're perfect. So I had a, there was a friend of mine that they went to this conference and there was this very well-known speaker, very, very well-known. I'm not going to use names, but like very well-known. Right. They were totally put together and they had their life perfect. You know, they drove their whatever and they had their zillion dollar house. And, and then there was this other person that spoke at that same conference that was just real. Mm-hmm. The people could not relate to this, the big speaker. That is not yeah. their life. Most people don't just come in this life and be like, cool, I've got everything figured out and I'm awesome. Right, right. Well, I think that, like there's different versions of fake until you make it. I think being a fake person obviously is not, that's not going to get you or anyone really anywhere. And I don't, I think the key part of it, and it doesn't always work and it depends on the personality anyway, but the key part of it is also making it. Like you can't just fake it. To me, all that means is like, you put out the energy that like what you're saying, like you're the outcome that you're wanting in the future, you treat it as if it's in your present. And then at the same time that you're doing that, you're doing the work to make space for that same result. Yeah. That's, you know what I mean? I mean? It's, it's doing the work. It's, I would say, I would say show up until you make it. Like if you show up on a field sure. practice yeah. every single day, like I heard this, I love this quote, and I, I don't remember the announcer that said it, but it was in a soccer match I was watching. I mean, this was probably a couple of years ago or so. He said he learned his trade at this lower club, and then he found his stage at this higher club. So it's like every time is either almost a practice field or a stage. Like we, we're going to constantly be showing up on our practice field, and our stage just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, and look at you, you're starting out on a pretty big stage. I mean, speaking at an event with, you said 18 people or so, right? Was that it? 18? Yeah. I mean, this one isn't my first event, but this is a, the most recent event. Yeah. There's, I'm directing it. I'll, I'll speak, um, briefly, but yeah, there's 18 people on my, on my docket for this particular event. Well, how cool is that? I mean, how many people can could say they just went they just went out and put an event together with 18 <laughs> people yeah I, yeah and the reason i'm driving this point home is because it takes just as not exactly this but it takes almost just as much energy to do something as it does to not do it because when we when we don't do it it's on our mind all the time right it's taking up that mental space in our head. And it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to do this. I've got to do yeah. this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And it's like, no, I want to do right. something else. I want to do something else. And it's like, no, if, if you just show up, that has been placed. That's been placed. I don't remember where this phrase comes from. I think it's a scripture, but it's been placed on the stony tablets of our heart. And if we act on it, we're going to get a lot more really cool stuff. Yeah. The people that act in the world, like we wonder why all these really cool people have all these really amazing ideas. God has to do his work in the world. He doesn't care who does it. I actually found something fascinating in the, in the uh, there's a book of scripture for those of you that aren't members of our faith called the Doctrine and Covenants. And there's a section in there, which Joseph Smith, our, our first prophet of this dispensation, there's a part that says, and if basically, and if he doesn't do what he's supposed to do, I'm going to find somebody else. <laughs> I had never seen this scripture. If anyone wants to 
see it. I'm happy to message you. Oh, actually, my scriptures are right here. Hold on. Um, it's actually literally, I just read this so I can do this. But it's in a DNC. This is actually fascinating. DNC 35, verse 18. So it says, you know, if he, uh, so I've given unto him, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. I've given unto him these, thing, these things to do. If he abide in me, and if not, another will I plant in his stead. So if Joseph Smith doesn't show up and do the things that he's meant to do, then God was going to find someone else. And I just, that just blew my mind. I think I read yeah. that yesterday, but I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody talked about it was going to be him. Okay, cool. But if God, who can see everything from the beginning to the end, realizes, right. hey, he's not going to. And it makes you wonder, were there other people? Were there other people that are just like, nope, sorry, not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. And then finally one comes along and he's like, oh, cool. He's going to finally do it. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to spread anything there, but. What, yeah, you say no, it is, it is interesting. I think that like, I don't know, like you said, like it doesn't really matter who's doing it, but like an opportunity to be the person to do it is how we are blessed through that process. You know, like when we're offered an opportunity to be the person to do it, that's for our benefit. Because if we say no, someone else is going to, you know, he's going to find another way to make that thing happen. But now you just missed out on that particular experience and blessings that would have come with that. Well, I, I, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and, and one thing I'll, I'll say sometimes is how God has this amazing road planned out for us, but it's not like, a horrible road. It's like everything we could ever want and imagine is on that road and just super, super, super cool things. Like he has this amazing, it's coming to my mind. I've shared this story a few times, but there's a story about this room in heaven and, you know, a, a woman or a human dies as people do and they show up and, and they just notice after a while, how the angels keep gliding past this one room. And, you know, humans is, humans do get curious and they're like, hey, why do you keep passing that room? What is that? Excuse me. And, you know, and so finally, like they, they say, we can't keep you out of there, but we would highly recommend you do not go in there. And yeah, that, that, that lasts about as long as telling a little kid not to touch, not to touch something. And so they go in and they see the most amazing things ever. Mansions, cars, the, an incredible relationship, a relationship with Heavenly Father, like everything you could ever imagine or want. And they come out of the room and they're like, oh my goodness, that is so cool. You have to go in there. What is that place? The angels get really solemn and they say, that is the life you were meant to have while you were on this earth but you didn't believe you could have it. I have seen so much. I mean, we think about that and every single one of us has things we can improve and things we can get more on this path. But I think about that story and it's like, if everything is available to us, the amount of times God has told me no has been twice. Once with a girl that I was engaged to that God gave me an absolute stop sign. And another time that I thought I was supposed to shift careers 
And he gave me an absolute stop sign there, but they were both things that I thought I was supposed to do that I did not want to do, you know, and, and it's interesting because when we understand that he does, he have this path laid out for us with all those things in that room, everything we could ever want is on that path. We just have to show up and we just have to do that. Yeah. And make room for it. Which is hard. To, well, to, tell me more about tell me more about that. I think that to make space for things that we hope for but can't see, um, I think it triggers a lot of like fears around scarcity, which lots of people have, um, and around control too, because it feels like you know, when we leave these big gaps in our lives for things, and maybe that's the wrong way to say it. Like, maybe it's not so no, much you, a gap, but like sometimes, I love sometimes it. No, it keep is. Keep going. It's, it's perfect. Keep going. I think that, I think that it makes us feel um, a little bit out of control. Like, I think that we want all of the things that we can see and we want it right in front of us so that we can take inventory all the time, but you know, that's, that's how we manifest scarcity. And so in order to manifest abundance, we have to make room for abundance. And I think that that's really scary because if it's for something that we can't actually see in front of us right this second, then it feels like it's, you know, we're going to get lost in the space or it's going to, it's going to stay empty and feel empty. And I think that that scares us but to make room for all of those things I think is I don't know I think sometimes that's the hardest process I think a lot of times that's what God is really waiting for us to do well and it's interesting because in the more I've learned about fear and absolutely there's plenty of times that I get that I get fearful too what if every fear we had was simply just a thought like I have a nephew that is absolutely fearless. Like he will do some crazy stuff. I mean, he's especially the four-year-old, like that you're just like, whoa. It's like if I'm sitting there playing guitar and he's behind me, he'll just, he'll still just run up and jump on my back off of a bed. Like, and just grab onto my neck and hope that he doesn't like that I don't drop him. Yeah. As I'm on, as I'm looking the other way playing the guitar. I don't, I think we come into this world fearless. And I think after a while, we just kind of make fear a habit. Like we're so used to that habit that comes up for every single one of us, myself definitely included. But if we could simply just realize that fear is simply a thought that passes through our head. When something looks outside of our given reality, like we all live in a certain reality. For a while, I lived in the reality Hey, what is the point of my life? What's the point of, you know, developing really cool stuff in my life if I have nobody to share it with? Now I live in a different reality. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like the Pocahontas song says, you know, the water is always changing, always flowing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It is. And so are we. And if we recognize fear for what it is, is just a thought, a passing thought that flows through our head. That when we buy in, absolutely, it's scary. Like one, of, you know, one of the examples I like to use is, you know, 
we only pay attention to those things that move us emotionally, positively or negatively. Like right now, I'm guessing you're not scared of the wall behind me. It's gray or whatever color it is. But if I happen to have pictures of clowns on that wall and you happen to be scared of clowns, you better believe what would be the first thing that you notice. Yeah. First of all, like what is a 37 year old man doing with clowns on his wall? That probably too. But you'd be like, oh my goodness. Like we're scared of the sight of a clown and we can't be scared of something of paper on a wall. So it has to just be a passing thought. But when we just let that thought keep passing, we're back to the present. We're back to the now. Yeah. I, well, I actually think that um, our fears do hold a lot of meaning because I think they tell us a lot about ourselves. So I think that I, I think there's a reason that God allows us to feel fear in the first place. Like it must have a purpose. So to just, I mean, ignore, passively ignore it is not only really hard, but to me is a waste of that experience because I think that there's so much meaning to glean from that. Like there's so much, in fact, in my sessions with clients, um, a lot of the process is actually identifying bottom line fears, like not, not necessarily everything. Some are symptoms of other fears and whatever, but finding what, like, what is the bottom line fear that is motivating this and where does it come from and how can we correct it? And sometimes the fear is valid. Like sometimes it's not necessarily an incorrect fear, but um, I think, you know, we take the information that that fear gives us about ourselves and then we take that and use it to create um, really personalized, customized autonomy for ourselves moving forward with that understanding of those fears. So I think that there's, a lot of meaning in them for that reason. It's just, I think the difference is how much are you allowing that fear or your fear in general to be the thing that's making decisions for you. And I think that's the, that's the boundary we need to have with fear. And I think that like, not every scary thought that passes through our head has, like you're saying, has to necessarily be one that we need to give a ton of energy to. Like, But again, I think that comes with understanding yourself and knowing, being able to tell the difference between like, this is a symptom and like, I'm just going to let it pass through. And I'm going to, you know, say, I'm going to validate that I have it, acknowledge that I'm feeling it. And then, you know, let it, let it move on. And sometimes we, we need to look at it and take what information is available to us from it. Um, and be able to, you know, be self-aware enough to kind of know the difference between those. Well, I like what you said, like what you said there about a, pa- you know, passing through. Like that's, you know, that's really the way that I see it is all the thoughts. Like sure, yeah. we have this mental train station and all these thoughts really are just passing through, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and we're the ones that stop them. <clears throat> like I said, with the clown on the wall, because it's like, <gasps> Oh my goodness, that's a fearful thought. Or with with things we really want to get, it's like, oh, that's going to help me get where I want to be. But most of the thoughts, like I said, the uh, wall's gray. Keep going. You know, all all these other thoughts. House is brown. Move along. The grass is mm-hmm. green. Move along. But it's the thoughts that like scare us the most. That we're the ones that we jump out in front and we're like, why am I having this thought? 
I should not be having this thought. I'm a good person. Good people don't think like this. Instead of just saying, oh, cool. Well, there's that thought that just happens to pass through my head because I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And mm-hmm. you know, also we have this crazy leprechaun thinking and the adversary and everything else. But if all of our thoughts just keep passing through, that mental train station is completely open to be able to be used for our space, to be able to use to create. Mm-hmm. I love that thought. Yeah, it's the same. It goes back to that same scarcity, right? Like you have to make room. I like, I like how you said that. Like we're making room to create and or to um co-create with god you know but we can't do that until we've made room for that and for that process and that result in our life well and i love how you said co-create with god like have you ever done the artist way program i haven't so i could not recommend it anymore <clears throat> four years yeah. ago Four years ago, one of my mentors, like he coaches, you know, the who's who of the world said, Hey, mm-hmm. do this. You know, a lot of my clients find success doing this program. It's like a 12 week program, but part of it is writing three pages longhand every day in the morning. And so it's pretty intense, but I finally, like after you know, probably six months ago, you know, God just said, Hey, like, this is something you really need to do. I tried it before. I tried it a few times and three pages longhand is wow. You know, we got time to watch 22 minutes of a sitcom. We do not have time to write 22, minute, 22 minutes yeah. long. It's because everybody has ADD in this generation. Yeah. We're doing too many things at once. Right. Every, every, and a lot of it's not even what we want. A lot of it's not even what we want to focus on. Yeah. But it talks about there, like it's called the spiritual path, the creativity. Now, people swear by this book. And, you know, I've, I've become one of those. But what it does is it really just opens up that space for us to co-create with God. It takes us back to this place of almost being a little kid. Like little kids are so creative. I mean, if we had the if we had the creativity of a little kid, we would kill it. Like we would just yeah. dominate the world. We would dominate the universe. Yeah. But as we grow up, like things start to happen. And I liken it to almost like one of those old school lanterns. We come into this world as this super bright light. And then people start pouring buckets of paint on us. And at first, like, it doesn't phase us. Like, you can even tell a little kid, I'm not recommending this, but you can tell a little kid very extreme words. They will laugh and laugh and laugh. They will think it's hilarious because they don't know any different. But then after a while, they start to believe what's being said. And those tiny paint drops are start to stick on the lantern. And then more sticks and more sticks and more sticks until the person themselves can't even see their light. And then after a while, someone like yourself or like myself comes along and peels off just a little circle of paint and says, look, that's your light. That's who you are. Yeah. And reminds them of that light. And then it goes brighter and brighter and brighter. Until eventually all that stuff melts away. And, you know, that's really what I like in the artist's way to is just getting back to that place of light. Like it has been yeah. so much. I've, I've become a very strong advocate. Most of my podcasts now include the words, the artist way. Because for 20 bucks for the book and, you know, getting a notebook and just putting in your time. It is the best coaching, therapy, in- counseling, insert, whatever else. 
it's just incredible. So yeah, that's, I'd, I'd highly recommend it to you know, everybody listening. Cool. I've actually never heard of it, so I'll have to look it up. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Get, well, it just gets us back to that place of happiness because little kids are happy, right? Even if you're not yeah, happy think, with them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that the more information we get and can retain and can understand, the more afraid we become and the more jaded we are. And I think that's really the difference. And I, I, I like the metaphor. I actually would, um, I think the paint, you know, that is on the lantern, I, it makes sense, more sense to me if that paint is fear rather, or, you know, rather than other people pouring paint on our light, because I don't know that that really is possible. Like we can choose, they can try. I guess, but they, it won't work unless we allow it to work. You know what I mean? And I think that most people, you know, of course there's toxic, there's toxicity everywhere, but for the most part, I I think people don't really have the energy to like focus on doing that or, you know, and we can actually do that to each other, of course. But I think that it really, um, to me and like working with my clients, I understand that pain to really be fear like it's it's fear and a lot of that comes from information it comes from having experiences and and trauma and maybe all the all of the information that we have isn't correct you know so maybe information is even the wrong word um because I guess that would imply that it's correct but some of it is correct and we, we can metaphor things to death I mean <laughs> yeah but like I think it's I think it's important to to acknowledge the role that fear has in that because fear is what's in our fear is our is we have autonomy over our fear we don't have autonomy over other people we don't even really have autonomy over most of our circumstances I mean or our environment like we do obviously we can choose we have agency over what circumstances or environment we create for ourselves or choose to be in but the only thing we can really control is us and so I think it's important to acknowledge fear's role in that because that is that falls in our autonomy and other people don't and other people's actions towards us don't, you know, but our fears, our fears do like there's something we can do about our fear. And so I think, I think that it's important to, to acknowledge that and acknowledge that, um, you know, fear has a role in all of this. You remind me of a quote. I, I can't remember if it's Brene Brown or Elizabeth Gilbert, but it basically says fear has to be in the car, but it can't, it has to sit in the back seat. It can't even, it can't even touch the radio. Like it has to sit there. And you know, if you guys look up, if you guys look up uh, roughly around that, you guys could find the quote. Do you know which quote I'm referring to? I don't actually, I'm impressed with your, your bank of quotes how many you just have like sitting in your head and even who said them i'm not i'm I, i'm not good at retaining specific information like that so i'm impressed i mean honestly you know what's funny about it though like the more we empty ourselves out which is what the artist way is about mm-hmm. the more that god can pull stuff from the file cabinet like i haven't thought about that quote and i mean the that in a long time and the marianne williams quote i used to have on my desk but i haven't other than quoting it a few times for like rarely for people, I haven't quoted it that much, nearly like I used to. 
I really believe like the emptier we are, that, you know, God can really just guide and use us. And, and the funny thing about it is I joke about this, but I really don't remember a lot of the stuff I say on the podcast. I really don't. Like I have to, if somebody comes up and they're like, hey, remember when you said this thing and this thing and this thing? I'm like, well, tell, tell me which episode it is and I might have a better idea. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, honestly, but I think it's a beautiful thing. And especially as a coach with some of the things people tell me, it's good to have a short-term memory. But what a, like, what a beautiful gift because we know that if we just show up, now God's going to say whatever he wants to say. We are just instruments. And the more I understand, I am nothing but an instrument. It's like when I try to sound really cool on my podcast, or like there's a point that I kind of run out of cool stuff to say. And that's where the really good stuff comes. <laughs> it comes after that because I've got the other stuff that's just like, you know, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. But when it's like new stuff has to come through, it's like, whoa. That is so much better. We should just we should just clip the rest of the first part of the podcast and just go to that. <laughs> but it really is like we are, like you know, I think it's Michael Neal that says this. We're the another plane. quote. We're we're the plane. We're not the pilot. God is mm-hmm. the pilot, and He guides our lives so much better than we can imagine. Oh, you said earlier about how it's been how it's such a blessing for us to do the things that we're given. I mean, the, the, um, the blessing, like the cool experiences that I've had, the cool people that I've met because I started that podcast and the community that's grown and everything else that's grown is like, this has been awesome. If I would have seen all that six months earlier, I might've been a little bit more likely to start it because when there's still work involved, I mean, sitting down recording a podcast every week, I mean, you know, and like, but the other thing I was going to say about that is not when we don't show up and do what we're meant to do. That's when, and, and somebody else takes it over. Elizabeth Gilbert, she tells a story about that. She was writing this really cool book about this Amazon rainforest, but she'd kind of been sitting on it for a while. And after two or three years, out comes this book about the Amazon rainforest or whatever it was, specifically the very specific stuff that she had been thinking about writing. Somebody else went and wrote. And sometimes people are going to sit there and be like, oh my goodness, I've wasted that good idea. But when we understand that all inspiration actually comes more from a, li- a spring of water, like a living mm-hmm. spring of water, and there's countless other ideas also, we just have to go back to the spring and let ourselves be there. And another one's going to come through. So instead of worrying about all our missed opportunities, you know, because I mean, by the time, you know, you're, you're 25, I'm 37. By the time we hit those ages, we're like, excuse me. We're like, man, I wish I would have done this different. I wish I would have done this. Different. Okay, cool. Oh, well. Yeah. You know, and we yeah. just have It's to that scarcity forward. again. Yeah, it is. Like, I'm like, I'm going to run out of opportunity. Like those opportunities are gone. And so now I have less in front of me. It's not really how it works. Well, I mean, there's consequences of our actions, of course. So in that sense, maybe, but like you're saying, like it's, there is an abundance of opportunity if you make room in your life for those opportunities. And making room is simply that scripture of be still and know that I am God. When we are still, like you think about how much noise is in the world, especially right now. 
when we are still, God has the chance to speak to us. Mm-hmm. Or even when we're engaged, like when we're not mindlessly dr- listening to a bunch of mindless dribble, that's what I call the news and a lot of other stuff. And we're getting super engaged on social media and all that stuff. But like when we're just there, we are an open vessel. Like when our vessel, like you were talking about, about, you know, abundance and space, when our vessel is empty, it's a lot easier to fill. It's, It's really hard for God to fill a full, like there's this cool story about this man that goes and sees this like, guru type person and uh, you know and and he asks if he wants tea and 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 the guru keeps like pours the tea and all of it and the cup's full and he keeps pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring until it's leaking and he's like you know i can't remember exactly what he says like aren't you gonna stop or like what's the, the cup is full and the guru basically says yes and until you empty that cup there's no space so we have to have that empty vessel for God to be able to fill up in us whatever yeah. he wants to. So I love, I love how you brought that up. Yeah. Like, I want to, we went a totally different direction than I even come close to anticipating today. <laughs> but I want you to at least take a few minutes and just, one, the question we normally start out with on these is, what what has helped Emma to be happy and single? Yeah, like twenty five in our church is like, and, and I and I mean this with no offense because I'm thirty seven, but twenty five in our church is like ancient. You know, people are like if you're not married by the time you're seventeen and three quarters of a year old, <laughs> you are too old. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I do think that that's shifting quite a bit, but um, but it, it we're like in the middle of that shift, and so I think there's like a whole lot of people my age that are single or older that the church, you know, or our community or whatever, like is, is having, is um, learning to accommodate for because they have to, because there's so many of us. Um, And so it's been interesting to watch that shift and to be a part of that. Um, I honestly, I think that it's important it's been important for me to be able to acknowledge that being single is hard. Like it can be hard and you can be happy at the same time. Like you don't have to choose, like, you know, we can experience both of those things. And I think a lot of us do. And I think giving yourself permission to, to have both of those experiences at the same time is a really big part of, um, of warding off resentment about being single, especially in communities where there might be a lot of questions or stigma around being single at a, at a certain age or whatever. There's, and as long as there's people in your life who care about you, there's going to be people with opinions, and that that can be really hard too. So, <laughs> I so that. I think <laughs> I think that like having like being able to give yourself permission to have both of that, you know it helps us be able to navigate all of those opinions that we're going to get from all of those people. And, um, so I think that's, that's an important piece of it, at least. What advice do you have for people that are struggling, finding happiness, being single? Um, I think that if, I mean, again, like you can be 
you can experience loneliness and still find fulfillment in being single. Like, I think it's a kind of the same, a similar idea, obviously, but a little bit of a different spin that like you can be lonely or sad about being single and also still find fulfillment in it and give it an objective. So I would say find an intention, be intentional about maybe you're not choosing to be single, but be intentional about how you are single and create fulfillment in that because that is what you can control. That is something that falls within your autonomy and within your agency. Um, so I think that that, that is one um, important piece of it. Um, I don't know. I, I think that if there's such a, a struggle to find that, um, then I think that there's probably a lot of beliefs attached to worth about being single or not being single. And I, I, I would advise that if someone is really struggling to experience fulfillment or any kind of happiness being single, that which again does not mean not feeling lonely or not feeling sad or whatever. It doesn't mean any of that. You can experience all those things and still create happiness and fulfillment for yourself being single. I would say if someone is really, really struggling with that, find a life coach or someone who can help guide you to recognize what is the belief you have about being single and or about not being single that is creating this reality in which happiness doesn't exist in the realm of singlehood. Um, because I find that a lot of the time when people are struggling with that, it's usually because they've boxed themselves into a belief system that doesn't allow for happiness and singlehood to exist in the same place. Yeah. And, you know, as I shared with you before, like I'd box myself in that place. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely aware of that place of I can't, yeah. can't be happy and single. I even had people around me tell me it's like, Joseph, you are way too happy to, to still be single. Like, you know, it's like, okay, well, thanks. <laughs> like, yeah. what, what do you want me to do? Be miserable until I find, until I get married. That sounds stupid. Like, I wouldn't, one other question I wanted to ask you is like, what's been the hardest part about being single for you? And what has helped you to overcome that? <laughs> the hardest part about being single for me is dating. <laughs> I think, honestly, if dating wasn't a part of being single, me personally, I, I honestly feel like it would it would be a lot easier to be single if it didn't include the dating and all the complications and whatever that comes with that. Tell, so, tell me more. I, I'm, I'm honestly curious. Tell, tell me more about this. I, I personally never really enjoyed dating the older I get. Um, and the more that my, my, um, taste shift, I, I, I'm, I find a place for dating in my life, but I just have never really been one to naturally enjoy that that process um and I think that if you're doing it with intention a lot of times it isn't it's not really fun like there's fun things about it but I think that if you're really being intentional about that process you know and intentional about creating or pursuing or whatever a certain result which is like to end up with another person 
there's a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. Like there's more, um, I think there's more discomfort in general in that process than there is fun. And if you're dating with the intention to have fun, then that of course is possible. And then it can get really fun. But I think I've never been one to think it was that fun. So I generally haven't found it natural for me to take that approach. Um, And so it's usually pretty intentional, which makes it not that fun. Um, But it can be really fulfilling, obviously, and a lot of um, growth is available in that process and getting hurt and hurting other people intentionally or not, because that's just inevitable. And, you know, all the questions and navigating, what does this person think? And what do I think? And learning how to communicate and with people who have different communication styles and, you know, what, what amount or type of communication is appropriate in this particular situation and what amount or type of communication is appropriate in this situation and where are the boundaries and like, just a lot to navigate. It's like, I don't always have time to be, I have a lot of jobs, you know, I'm a busy woman. I don't have a whole lot of time to give to like that annoying, annoying process. <laughs> so I would say- so you really feel that part of being <laughs> single. <laughs> I, I love and respect your honesty. And it's interesting. I was watching one of those videos one time about you know, the ones where, you know, they got married young and they get older and they're like, mm-hmm. I never had my fun time. And I was like, I never right. had my fun time. And I was like, I never wanted my fun time. I, I never mm-hmm. wanted, I never wanted to date. I mean, I, I was engaged at 23 and almost just went through, through with it. So I didn't have to stay single. Like right. if it hadn't been for an incredibly strong stop sign, because I think it is like, we've taken all the fun out of dating yeah. Because marriage, the thing that we all want most, or the thing that many people want most, it's a byproduct. It can't, it does not, it, it is not something that we create. It's something that really just happens. You know, and I found Well, I think it's something that two people ahead. choose. So well, like- they, they do choose it, but what, what, what I'm saying, we've got to have that spark. So I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not even going close to somebody if I don't feel anything, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. It's like, I believe God is the ultimate matchmaker and the people that I've connected with the most is when I'm not trying and I don't want it. (laughs) Yeah. That's been the times for me that I've had, you know, some amazing girls placed in my life that it's like, Oh yeah. Like this would, this would be a good option. You know? And I think everybody, certain people kind of resemble the one we're looking for and I do, I think depending, like, I can only speak to how I see the world, but it's like, I knew, I knew what I was looking for and I knew, and I would only know when I found it though. It's like, you know, you keep looking, it's like, not it, not it, not it, not it, not it. Yeah. And you say not it for a long time, <laughs> like not it, not, right. it, not it, not it. But there's something to that. Of, I, I just love that honesty of saying, Hey, you know what? Sometimes dating sucks. And that's why I tell people similar to the way they told us, just say no, like about drugs back in junior high and high school, just say no to dates. We don't want to go on. Cause like, right. I think it's just frustrating. Like if we had the excitement, like when we were 16 or something, there's that person that you really, really, really wanted to go out with. And it's like, I think we should be at least close to that level to go out with somebody. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah, I I honestly hated it when I was 16. I turned 15 and I remember on my 15th birthday, 
somewhere towards the end of the day, I remember sitting on my couch and having a thought, oh my gosh, I have to start dating in a year. (laughs) 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 I didn't expect that. Like I hadn't thought about it at all. I thought that I would be excited to date. And then the day I turned 15, I was like, oh shoot, I only have 365 days before I have to come up with another reason to not go on a date other than I'm not 16. Because again, in, in our culture, typically that's when you're allowed to start going on dates. Anyways, so I remember having that experience. But I do think that like, the more we do our own work in our own life, the easier it is to find ways to enjoy that process. Some people genuinely love it naturally. I'm just not one of those people. Um, but I've, I've learned that I don't have to date the way that other people say dating is fun. And that's been a big thing for me is that like the people who love dating they don't date the same way that I do. And I think that that's partly why I didn't enjoy it because I was trying to enjoy their version of it. And I just don't, I just don't like it. But, you know, I've, the more experience you get, the more you learn about yourself in that context and any context. And um, I think I, I've come to like learn the parts of it or the versions of it that I do enjoy. And you know, you, it's a skill. Dating is a skill. You get better at it. I think that yeah, like there's a way right. to be bad at it and you get better. And it's different for everybody because like, depends on your version, the version of dating that you enjoy, the version of dating that I enjoy, it required like certain communication skills and certain self-awareness. And it was like a process for me to get to a point where I could enjoy it. Um, as long as I'm intentional about how I do it and allow, you know, give myself permission to to do that because I think there's a lot of pressure to like be really casual about dating and like you know don't be the person that puts too much pressure on every opportunity and like don't be the person that takes everything too seriously and it's like I'm sorry that's just who I am but like I can find a way to keep that in balance rather than changing who I am or changing how I date you know what I mean just adjusting my boundaries is all well, and, and, and I love like it's interesting how we put so many rules on dating it's like, oh, I have to date this yeah. way. I have to date this way. I have to, you guys, guys, you don't have to date any way that right. you don't want to. Like you can right. say no to any single person. I say no plenty. Like, yeah. like, I mean, I generally 90 plus percent of the time I say no, it's okay. Yeah. Like, because if I know ahead of time, I don't know, everybody's wired different. I know ahead yeah. of time. I just have that feel for people. If they're even Same. close. I don't want to waste my time. I have been yeah. on dates and wished that I was home doing anything else. Right. And then it's I not fair to them either. That. It's not. And, and you bring up a good point. You're actually doing somebody a favor when you tell them no, because you're letting them get closer to their person. And, and yeah. I don't know. And, and I hope I'm not putting you in the spot here because I, I don't intend to. But, you know, at least for me. The times that I've met the girls that I've connected with the most, there's been less than a handful. It's effortless. Like it is absolutely effortless. Like it just, I don't know. It's, it, it's almost like there's a current pulling you towards that other person sure. that you just feel it. I, I love, I love the song. Oh goodness. What is it? I think it's, I don't know. Maybe it's humble and kind, but it basically says, no, it's not humble and kind. It's a different one, but it says, you basically, you love who you love and that's nothing you should ever be ashamed of. We don't pick who we love. We pick who we marry. 
but they've got to pick yeah. that too. But like, right. it just, we just feel that we just connect with that person. And so I think just letting ourselves date the way we want to date. Right. And not worrying about what anyone else says, because right. yes, I, I totally understand everything that you're saying. And for many years, it was like, everybody, like I had people tell me, everybody deserves ice cream. Everybody deserves a date. And I'm like, I hated some of those dates. And then I'd start coaching girls on some of those dates. And believe it or not, they were not thrilled. They were like, oh my goodness, I'm getting coached for free. They were like, yeah, please take me home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like the really the only rule is like be aware of how your actions are affecting other people because dating involves feelings, obviously. And so there's a lot of vulnerability for everybody in that space. And so date the way that you want to date, as long as you are being intentional about being aware of how your actions might affect other people and taking responsibility for that. But other than that, like you do what feels right to you. And if you really love just like going on a hundred first dates, do it. I am never going to be that person. <laughs> you will not find me going on a hundred first dates. You just won't. You won't. And I'll probably say no. Like I say no, I say no a lot too. Less than I used to because my approach has shifted a little bit. But again, like I'm not, I'm not the person that loves to go on a hundred first dates. So, you know, but if you are, do it. Just make sure that you're communicating. I used to host a dating podcast, actually. We hosted we for about a year. So we talked about this all the time. I've got a lot to say. What about was it called? I, I had no idea you did that. Um, it's called Singled Out. I'm not sure where you can really find any. It's out there floating in the universe somewhere. We haven't recorded. We did it for about a year. And then honestly, we were like, you know, <laughs> this is the part of our, of our lives that we dislike the most. And so it was fun to talk about it for a year. And then after that, it was like, yeah, it's not really fun anymore. Like <laughs> it got, because dating isn't that fun for some of us, at least for me. So, um, but it it's out there somewhere. We had a lot of people. It feels like I listened to an episode a little while ago and I was like, I literally don't even recognize the person who's talking on this podcast right now. <laughs> a lot has happened since, <laughs> since we recorded. So whatever, take that into account if you go and look it up, but it does exist somewhere. And we did have a lot of people reach out to us. They resonated a lot with, you know, content that was shared on there. But yeah, I have a lot, I have a lot to say about that, but we used to say on the podcast to use your words. That's really the only rule. As long as you're communicating and taking responsibility, then that's, that's really, those are the only two real rules and everything else you just get to create within those boundaries, how you feel like you need to. Well, the phrase that keeps coming to my mind as you're talking. And allowing other people to do the same. Sorry, I should add that. No, you're Allowing kidding. other people to do the same, even if it's different than how you do it. And even if you're dating each other, but you do it differently, allowing space for that person to have the process that they have. Right. Cause they're going to anyways. I mean, the more you try to, you, right. you, the more you think that you're going to try to change their process, the more you're right. going to be frustrated. People are who right. they are unless they decide right. to change. Mm -hmm. But what I was going to say, I think the phrase that keeps coming to my mind is actually from uh, Cinderella, but it says, have courage and be kind, have courage, mm -hmm. go out with the people you want to go out with and be kind to them. But also when somebody asks you like, be kind, you don't have to be a jerk. I mean, yeah. what, I'll, what I'll generally say is like, you know, thank you so much for you know, having the boldness to ask me out. And 
I'm just not interested. Like I just, I used to write this long paragraph and you're awesome. You're amazing. (laughs) They know what's coming. Right. It's almost worse too. It's like, don't patronize me. Tell me no. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, just rip off. I mean, the intentions are good. Of course we've all done, we've all been on both sides of that. Well, you know, most of a lot of us been on both sides of that, but. And, and speaking of words, I just have to take a moment because I know there's people across the world that listen to this podcast and most of you guys won't get the chance to meet Emma, but Emma has such an incredible energy and, and power about her from, you know, the phone, the moment I first met her, you know, I could just tell like she has this incredible energy, incredible kindness, but also is, you know, bold in what she wants. And, you know, but yeah, so I, I just wanted, wanted to share that because you really do. Like there's, there's certain people that Thank just you. kind of stand out to me. And, you know, from the moment I first met you, you were, you were one of those, even before, I think even before I actually talked to you, like you can just kind of tell the way people walk, their energy. I mean, keep in mind, guys, yeah. I've been doing this for like 18 years. So it's not like, it's not like I say this about everybody. I just, I just have a way too good a depth and radar on most people. But I just wanted to point that out that, you know, Emma's so kind and so, you know, so uh, energetic and fun. And there's so many amazing qualities. So, guys, if, you. If, if, you hap- if you happen to check her out on Instagram and think you have a shot, <laughs> good luck. I might say no, but you can shoot your shot. <laughs> but, you know, we got to wrap up here. I know we're already well over the, the time that I, I told Emma we were probably going to be on here. But I just want to, first of all, you know, thank, thank Emma so much for taking time out of her day to come be on the podcast with us and, and share all of this really cool wisdom and, and be vulnerable and you'll be open and honest. And, you know, f- feel free to share, you know, whatever parting thoughts and then, and then share with people how they can, uh, how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. Um, I mean, as far as parting thoughts go, honestly, I just, um, I would say that to the singles, I know that everyone says a version of this. And so it's just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. But again, your autonomy is yours and there's certain autonomy that lives just in singlehood. And so I would encourage people to empower that autonomy while it's in front of them. Um, And that I believe that the effects of doing that and taking that responsibility will manifest in future relationships anyway. So invest in, and I think that's often how I, you know, I find fulfillment in being single is knowing that investments in my energy now, if I'm smart about it, I am investing in my future relationship. You know what I mean? By working on myself and by taking opportunities as they come to learn or to date or whatever, like no matter what I'm doing now, that it will have some version of an effect on my future relationship or no relationship. And so just, you know, if you can't, if it's hard to, to connect with any kind of other fulfillment in singlehood, at least know that, at least know that what you're doing now, you know, you can, you can invest in your future relationship now by investing in yourself. And I think that's important to remember. Um, as far as social media goes, you can find me on Instagram. Um, at the Emma Millet, two L's, two T's. Um, and then my events page is at young, young adult events. Um, and it's new. We just started it for this event. Um, 
So you'll just find information for this one event on there, but we'll be, I'll be using it for my future events. Um, and you can email me. I often email, if you're trying to contact me, email is probably the best. Um, Zmmillet, same spelling at gmail.com. Well, Emma, thank you so much for, for joining us today. This has been, this has been so much fun. And thank you again for you know, all the things that you've shared. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun. Now, if you've made it to this point in the podcast, I'd like to invite you to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. I don't know how you got here, but that way, if you ever want to get back here again, it's right there for you in your subscriptions. And if you haven't already joined us, one of the really cool things that I do that's free for anyone that would like to participate is each Monday morning at 10 a.m. Arizona time, I host a group coaching call for Happy and Single. Anyone is welcome to come on, and you can even receive a little bit of one-on-one coaching time with me, depending on how many people are in the call. Now, every now and then that schedule changes, so you can go to the website happynsingle.com to be able to look at the schedule and also to be able to find the link to the Zoom room. Now at the same time, if you would prefer a more one-on-one type of coaching experience where you can sit down and share your hopes and dreams and, and just kind of the stuff going on in your world, then there's another option available for you as well. Now, the bulk of my business is actually doing one-on-one coaching. If that's something you're interested in exploring, I've got a few spots open in my coaching practice. You can just message me on Instagram at the It's Possible Guy, and we can sit down and have a chat. And it doesn't matter where you're at in the world. I've worked with people across the world. I do everything over Zoom, so it actually makes it pretty easy. Thank you guys so much again for listening. And go out and live your adventure. Thank you.